This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Everything Tom, Richard and myself have been up to on day one of the air show, coming to you live from DC Aviation Alpha Tames VIP Terminal. That includes, unsurprisingly, looking at the business of aviation. We've been looking at all the rumours with Nick Humphrey, the aviation lawyer from Norton White. Who might buy what? And who might be the ultimate winner out of Airbus and Boeing? We've also been looking at what aviation means for the wider Dubai and UAE economy with Ed Bell and looking at what life is like in the really comfy seats with Holger Ostheimer, who's the Managing Director of DC Aviation, Alpha Tame. What does the air show mean for private aviation? All of that, plus we had a humdinger of a news story announced just as we went on air this morning. The Dubai taxi IPO that we've all been waiting for has just pulled up outside. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. A big focus on aviation in a few moments' time. First up, though, let's cross to the ARN News Centre headquarters in Media City. Serena Kelly has stayed with us. Serena, good morning. Morning, guys. Serena, can we get the latest from the United Nations Security Council, in particular the UAE's role there? Yeah, so the last update I gave you on Friday was that the UAE had called for the UN Security Council to meet on the war in Gaza. And when they held that meeting, before they began, the UAE also called for a minute of silence in honour of the innocent civilians who have lost their lives. Then you had Her Excellency Lana Naseba, the UAE ambassador and permanent representative to the UN speaking, and she set quite a stark scene. All heard the acronym coined by health workers in Gaza, WCNSF, which stands for Wounded Child, No Surviving Family. I just want to let that sink in as we discuss today's topic. Just moments ago, many of us received messages from medical and humanitarian organizations about the heavy fighting around the Al-Shifa hospital. Medical staff tell us that they're in fear of their lives and the lives of their patients being taken. She mentioned Al-Shifa hospital there and reportedly the largest in the Gaza Strip has no power. Uh, Five infants, seven patients in intensive care have died so far. They do expect that number to continue to rise because nurses are resorting to manual methods to keep patients alive. But Lana Naseba made a point that the figures are more than just numbers. She mentioned how it was impossible to go through the thousands of stories in the meeting, but she wanted to put a couple of faces to those numbers, one specifically from Al-Shifa Hospital. Born in Al-Shifa Hospital on 6th October is Talia, whose fragile heartbeat depends on a mechanical ventilator, straining generators and dwindling fuel supply. With the strike on the hospital last night and reports of the desperate evacuations on foot as we speak here today in this council, I can't even begin to imagine what has happened to Talia, but we must not turn away from these stories. Like Talia, there are 130 other premature babies that are reliant on incubators to breathe. They are also reliant on our work here in this chamber as well as in our region. Now, as the UAE called for this meeting, Lana Naseba continued to paint the scene of what is happening in Gaza and also what transpired in the hours after the UAE called for the meeting. 
As we called for this meeting yesterday, little did we know that by the evening, a terrifying barrage of targeted attacks would be launched on schools and hospitals. Here's what that actually means. Babies, children, and the elderly who are seeking refuge and care in those facilities are also under attack. There are over 110,000 patients, including children, suffering from burns to their faces so severe that they're suffocating, with no access to antibiotics or burn cream. Women are giving birth in the most unsanitary conditions known to mankind, without medicines, and C-sections are being performed without anesthesia. So she made a very fairly powerful statement with regards to the attacks and the UAE's stance. There can be no doubt that the attacks by Israel in pursuit of its security are disproportionate. They are cruel and they are inhumane and we condemn them. They will not bring Israel security. So many lives are being lost without even achieving this aim. So she did go on to say that Israel must end its siege on Gaza, uh, reinstate essential services and items indispensable to human survival, including fuel, electricity and water. Uh, but those were just some of the words from Her Excellency Lana Naseba, the UAE ambassador to the United Nations. Serena Kelly, thanks very much indeed. This is the Business Breakfast Dubai I 103.8 FM. We're also live on Dubai One Television. Live all week, it is the Dubai Air Show. So we are down at the DC Aviation Alpha Team Aviation Terminal at DWC Airport. Aviation, of course, critical to the economy of the UAE. We've been speaking to Ed Bell. He's a Senior Director of Market Economics for Emirates MBD. And we asked him from an economic perspective to characterize just how critical this industry is. The air show here in Dubai does remind us of how important the transport and logistics sector is for the Dubai economy. In the second quarter of 2023, the transport and storage element of Dubai's GDP, which would encapsulate the aviation sector, expanded by 10.7% and represented about 14% of the Emirates' total GDP. Estimates from IATA, the International Trade Association for Airlines, estimated that air transport accounted for about 800,000 jobs across the whole of the UAE through both direct airline and airport workers, local supply chains, and the tourism infrastructure that air travel enables. We are expecting a flurry of deals at this year's air show, with aviation booming as it recovers from the COVID pandemic. We're expecting, as we heard from Brandy and Nick Humphrey, the aviation lawyer earlier, Turkish Airlines could be making a big splash. Of course, Saudi Arabia, all eyes on them. A couple of Indian airlines as well are believed to have brought their checkbooks. And then you've got the home team as well, Emirates and Fly Dubai. Have a listen to Sir Tim Clark. He's the president of Emirates Airline. This is him speaking back in June, talking to the guys at Bloomberg TV. They asked him what kind of airplane orders he had up his sleeve, and he said plenty. We will have to buy more aircraft. We'll be making orders fairly soon. 777s, 350s, maybe in 787s. We are, we are close to doing something. Um, that has to go through the government of Dubai, of course, my, my uh, principles. And when they're ready, we will make the announcement. That could come 
Next re- week, it I re- could come at the air show in Dubai. Could come at the air show in Dubai. Now, I know the, the doors are open this morning for, for the media. Eight o'clock, they threw them open. The main doors open at 10 o'clock this morning. We're off air at 10 o'clock, and we are hot-footing it down straight to the air show after this show today. Hope to bring you some of those big newsmakers throughout the day on Dubai Eye and tomorrow morning on the business breakfast. But Brandy Scott, not the only transport story in town. No, indeed. Kicked off the show this morning almost simultaneously with the news that the Dubai IPO has pulled up outside, the lights are flashing and the driver is waiting for you. Uh, The 21st is the day that the subscription will go live. We know that there's just under 25% um, of what is now a joint stock company's shares up for grabs. Samir Lakhani, Managing Director of Global Capital Partners, has been speaking to us about that. We asked him first off, what do we actually know at this point? We don't know much. They're going to announce the offering price on the first date, uh, which is commencement date of the first and second tranche, which is on the 21st of November. The subscription goes on from the 21st to the 29th. And this is, uh, you know, a return to the privatization process that that, uh, the government of Dubai had uh, initiated. The government of Dubai and Abu Dhabi had initiated last year and uh, gives retail investors more of a chance to come back in uh, to the market following the last two IPOs that were somewhat more institutional in nature. So what is the minimum share and subscription that investors, particularly retail investors, are going to need to buy in? Okay, so the minimum size is 15,000 dirhams. That's, that's, that's what they need to put in. The retail tranche, which closes on the 25th, that is, it's going to be 10% of the overall size. We've got two cornerstone investors, Emirates Investment Authority and the Social Security Fund for the, the UAE military personnel. But we also have, um, we have re- we know that we've had a sizable uh, interest for the Salic IPO, which as of this year has been up 38% against the DFM index performance of 19%. So for all of those people who maybe missed out, this is uh, this is another this is another chance to get into uh, uh, another bit of RTA's privatization process. Yeah, and for retail investors, um, the minimum subscription size is actually five thousand dirhams. We asked Samir this morning, how popular do you think this is going to be? Given historical track records, I think this is, this is going to be substantially oversubscribed. Uh, again, a business model that uh, investors understand. There's not nothing too complicated about it. it. Whilst they haven't announced any dividend plays yet, it is expected that there will be a dividend yield and a substantial dividend yield at that. Uh, we'll wait for further details on the 21st. But yes, it is expected to be massively oversubscribed. Yeah, and those close to the IPO tell me that we're going to get news of that dividend um, and what the plan is for the dividend yield in about 15 minutes. That should be released around the 8.30 mark. Um, Finally, we've asked Samir about where this fits into the wider Dubai IPO train. Well, we've had a couple of IPOs that were announced recently. They were were by the private sector. You had InvestCorp and now Phoenix, which just opens, uh, I think, next week. But yes, this is another IPO from the ongoing privatization process that was announced uh, last year. The appetite remains strong. It has been reflected in the secondary markets. You have seen pretty much all of the IPOs trading substantially over their IPO price. Investors have taken a liking to it. The overall number of investors have increased. 
Uh, again, you know, like I said, uh, the, the DFM index is the best performing index in the MENA region this year. Uh, so investors are, are, are clearly showing that there is appetite for more of these kind of offerings. And that is Samir Lakhani from Global Capital Partners putting this morning's big market news, the Dubai IPO, in context for us. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Yeah, we're living the high life down here at the VIP hub at DC Aviation Alpha Tame. Now, for most of the broadcast, if you're watching on TV, you will see that Tom, Brandy and myself, we are perched on bar stools behind some tables with Dubai Eye branding. But Brandy Scott has decided to make herself a little bit more comfortable for our next interview. She's in the armchairs, Brandy. Yeah, there is absolutely no shortage of space in which to become comfortable uh, down here at the DC Aviation Alpha Tame VIP terminal. Uh, well, we are getting the VIP treatment. And we're going to take a little look ahead now at what we might see come out of the air show this week. We've got the aviation lawyer, Nick Humphrey, in town at the moment. He heads up the aviation and transport sector for the firm Norton Rose across the Middle East. He's also uh, spends a lot of time in Australia. And we've got him to get whatever the aviation uh, version of a crystal ball is out of the closet to look at what we might see in the way of new orders and other announcements over the week. Nick, good morning. It's lovely to see you. Good morning, Brandy. Right. Let's start with the biggie which is Emirates. We've heard from the President Tim Clark there in the headlines saying uh, that he needs around 150 new planes. Rumours of a big wide body order. What do you think? Well, Brendia, the 777X is the aircraft on the lips of Emirates at the moment. Um, It was the subject of a few air shows ago, the 777X, and uh, the Emirates President putting the manufacturer under a lot of pressure to give some confirmations about when this aircraft would be available. Now, it is the focus because of the capacity and also the length in which it can fly. Now, interestingly, the competing um, aircraft for the 777X is the A350-1000. And coming into this beautiful facility today, we would have driven past one. So it is on show. And it is the jewel of the Boeing and Airbus. Um, But I think it'll be the 777X. But the issue with that aircraft is it's meant to be first delivered in 2025, still not certified. And we know what happened with the 737 MAX. Certification by the FAA on aircraft has obviously become a little bit different than it used to be. So that will be, I think, the talking point today. And I think the other thing is... Remember, it's the Dubai Air Show, so whose party is it anyway? <laughs> Emirates and Fly Dubai want to get out there early and make some announcements before some of the other carriers do. What We'll talk about some of the other carriers who might be making the party their mm. own. But before we do, what can we see from Fly Dubai? Fly Dubai, it's focused its airline on the 737 model aircraft um, and the 737 MAX, um, and it will likely be topping up the current um, aircraft that it has within its Um, capability within its fleet Um, and they're looking for really where the airlines are going beyond 2030 at the moment so we'd we'd likely to see probably you know it's finger in the air 100 100 plus 737 max you know they'll, they'll ramp it up because they'll say you know 50 orders plus there'll be some you know additions on top of that so that that's I think went from fly to buy. Okay, so it's Dubai's party, but could Turkish Airlines steal some of the cake? Rumours of up to 130, uh, 
sort of 300 planes. Mm. Pictures of Airbus executives in Istanbul in the last week. What do you mm. think? Yeah, well, this has been interesting news over the weekend. Um, and there was talk of up to 350 of the, and this is the A350-1000 potentially, and depending on the variants they'll go for, um, it's, it's, it's a big talk. And we've often talked in the Middle East about you know, Emirates' competitors, and we know we've got the emerging Riyadh Air, we've got Qatar Airways, but Turkish, by destination, is one of the largest air, air, um, airlines in the world, and it's making its stamp on Dubai's air show. So this is where the little duel's going to happen. What about Riyadh Air, which is the other big carrier that we've been discussing a lot recently? Could this be where we see their narrow body order? That, that is the talk um, on the street. Um, they did earlier in the year make uh, an order for the 787, the Dreamliners. Now, it'll be interesting to see because the talk is it's going to be the Max and what variant of the Max will they go for. Now, if they potentially go for the 9, which is yet certified, but is quite a large craft because it's you know Riyadh Air is an interesting emerging airline Emirates has an entirely wide body fleet you've got Qatar Airways which has a bit of combination of both whereas Riyadh has said look we're going to do both but we're about bringing people into Saudi Arabia and this is where the narrow body order is about you know that the, the I guess the range of capability and the, you know, from Central Asia to, you know, inner Europe to even India and beyond and Asia, you'll be able to get the narrow bodies flying into Riyadh from there. But when will you be able to get all these flying? I mean, that is the million dirham question, isn't it? This air show. You can order the planes, but when are they going to turn up? I would like to get a clairvoyant involved in this question. Um, it is a mystery. Um, there are not only is it supply chain issues, but there's, as I've mentioned, depending on the type of aircraft you go for, there's certification issues. There's also, if you're looking at, for example, the A320, which is the aircraft Air Arabia t- is, um, focuses its business on, both engine types which support that aircraft have had problems. Pratt & Whitney have announced major issues with um, various groundings and all this, also the CFM engine which um, Air Arabia um, is supported by has had some problems. Let's change tack slightly because we are in the run-up to COP. What is that going to mean for the announcements that airlines make? What could we hear on the sustainability front? Well, sustainability, there's a few interesting stories on sustainability. One is if you have a newer aircraft, you will be using fuel a lot more efficiently. There will be a lot of conversations about sustainable aviation fuel and that is something the manufacturers like to talk about and when you talk to the fuel companies we know it's realistic that there's going to be a very low usage of sustainable fuel but the other thing will be noise and there's there's an interesting aircraft that the Embraer one of their new series of um, aircraft is the quietest aircraft in the world at the moment carrying passengers in narrow body and it's advertising this point it's quiet so this makes an impact where you're flying around the world with curfews and those you know the issues that are you know for example which people are encountering in Europe now you know the, the restrictions placed on the elements of ESG so one is fuel the other is fuel efficiency and then you've got sound and noise so who's going to win this air show Airbus or Boeing and What's going to decide that, other than, obviously, the number of orders? Mm. Yeah, well, it's, a, it's interesting. There's a, there's a score sheet on a, one of the large aviation publications' website at the moment. It has a big column of zeros. It says, watch this space. 
I have a feeling, I've, I've got a sense that if, if Turkish comes through with a massive order, that Airbus is going to be the winner. Okay, 30 seconds left with you. Will the show be the winner, though? Will this be a record-breaking show? Absolutely. Um, you, you cannot get a stand there. The, the tickets have been going through the roof. Everyone's in town. Um, and it's a good news story of Dubai. When there are challenges in the world, Dubai always demonstrates to the rest of the world that we can get on with business and we're futuristic looking. We're looking to 2030. Nick Humphrey this morning talking us through what we might see come out of the show this week, heading up the aviation practice at Norton White. It's lovely to see you again this morning. Thank you, Brandy. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Let's cross over live to Richard Dean, who's speaking to our host. Yeah, thanks very much indeed, Tom. We're here with Holger Ostheimer. He is the managing director of DC Aviation Alpha Tame and the VIP terminal here. Holger, good to see you. Thank you for having me. Or should I say, Willkommen im Geschäftsfrühstück, which my pigeon German tells me is welcome to the business breakfast in German. That's perfect. That'll do for us. Busy day. Very busy. Day one of the air show. How big a deal is it for you? It's going to be big in so far that uh, it marks our 10th anniversary. It's 10 years since uh, Dubai Air Show 2013 when we started operating 10 years on. We can welcome you at our facility with a little bit of history. So we're here at your VIP terminal, just to paint a picture. If you're watching on TV, you can see it. But we're up at the DWC airport in Dubai South, aren't we? That's where the air show takes place. Just over your right shoulder is the tarmac, effectively, of, of DWC. Now, it's a big facility. The air show is, I don't know, a few hundred metres to our, to our right-hand side. But, but this is where you've been based for 10 years. Just talk to me about that journey. When you started off 10 years ago, what, what was here and what was it? And, and, and where have we come to now? Well, I, I guess uh, when we came here in 2012, which is uh, when we started uh, construction and developing the project, uh, we had a completely different picture. All of private and business aviation operation in Dubai was operated out of Dubai International and it needed a little bit of creativity uh, to envisaging that uh, Al Maktoum Airport uh, Dubai South could be the host of uh, the future of private and business aviation in Dubai. So I mean, to be th- let's, be, let's be quite candid. Did you get people who said it's not going to work out at DWC? Well, I guess the industry um, were looking at us uh, with a, with, a, with a gentle smile. We were deeply convinced though that that was uh, the right choice, right choice of location, but pro- most predominantly, um, given it is a joint venture, it's the strong partnership with the Alpha Team Group that really made us getting off to a good head start. So how many private jets were you handling there? Because to, to clarify, DC Aviation Alpha Team, you don't own private jets necessarily. You, you are a facility for managing private jets. If I'm a wealthy billionaire, one day inshallah, then I, and I've got my private jet, I'll get you to manage it. Or you manage charter jets like that. But it's not as if you own a, a fleet of private jets necessarily, is it? Am I right? It will be our great pleasure to operate an aircraft, of course. Uh, we have a number of different business verticals. Um, through our VIP terminal, we are handling aircraft and uh, VIP passengers. We are operating aircraft on uh, various different aircraft operator certificates. We're providing aircraft maintenance and hangarization. You can, uh, over on your left shoulder, um, you will see that uh, we have Hangar 1 that was built in 2013 and started operation in November 2013 with the air show. And Hangar 2, which we started building only four years later, given the demand uh, that there was, and leading us really um, 
off to uh, to a, a good development over those last ten years. So it's been a good business, but obviously it's a, it's a high value business rather than a high volume business. And there's so much you can't tell us because obviously secrecy and discretion is is critical dealing with the kind of clients you deal with. But I mean, how many how many aircraft movements a month would, or or a week would you deal with typically, and how has that changed over the years? Can you share that data? Well, annually, and uh, we are only one of uh, five service providers on the ground here in Dubai, uh, you'd be looking at around about uh, 3,000 aircraft movements per year. That times, uh, times five gives you a rough indication as to where those total numbers or the total activity uh, for the airport rests. And where are your big destinations at the moment? I know during COVID we spoke, India was big, the, you know, the big three cities of Delhi, Mumbai and Bangalore were big. And then a couple of years later, Russia and former Russian states became very, very popular. What are you seeing now? Given uh, the mix of nationalities here in Dubai and of uh, those nationalities with wealth, we stay with a very busy um, destination in, uh, in Pakistan, in, in India. And those international uh, hotspots uh, that, that there have been over the decades, uh, Hong Kong, Singapore, um, London, Paris, of course, yeah, and the, the local traffic uh, to Saudi, uh, Riyadh, and many other locations in, in, the, in the closer area. And what do you see? Most of the people who pass through here, are they owning their own aircraft? It, you know, it's their name, they own the aircraft, they use it when they want, or are they using some kind of charter facility? I only need a private jet twice a month, so I'll, I'll charter it and lease it. What, what's proving more popular? So our aircraft management services really cater to those individuals who own their own aircraft. But with our ground handling activity, passengers and aircraft that are passing through our terminal here, those can be uh, charter aircraft operators. So individuals um, using transport on, uh, on, uh, on ad hoc, on a bespoke level to book a flight from one destination uh, to another. But those people that we are looking after under aircraft management, those people come with their own aircraft. They have their own aircraft and you look after them here, with lo- like curating art almost. Well, um, we're trying our best. Uh, as with art, we're trying to follow the, uh, the highest uh, level, really. And the last 10 years, I think, have shown that we have been meeting client demand. Well, at least I would like to think so. I can assure you that we're trying very hard uh, to keep in that high level. But, but you can't really shout about it because you'd love to talk about some of the clients you've got. Everyone, everyone loves to boast about their clients, yeah. but you can't. And in fact, you can't let us in the hangars to film here because we might see the private jets and might be able to identify them. Mm-hmm. And so your discretion and, and not secrecy, but, but certainly discretion is really important, isn't it? The primary objective really is uh, discretion. And that is something that we have incorporated into the structure of the facility. You will see the distance from uh, getting out of your car onto your plane uh, is under 50, 60 meters. If you're lucky on a good day, um, you, you get out of your limousine and you'll be sitting in your aircraft seat uh, within a minute. Um, there is very Because you've got all immigration and security here, haven't you? M- much like we'd see in, in DXB or DS- DWC as a, as a commercial passenger, you've got all that here, haven't you? Everything is available on site. We're everything in Mini. We're a Mini airline, we're a Mini airport, we're a Mini maintenance facility, but catered really 
to the high-end client. Last question about the bottleneck in building these jets. There's huge demand for them, a lot of wealthy people out there. But we know for commercial aircraft, Airbus and Boeing, one of the big stories this week at the air show is going to be the backlog. You could sign a deal for 100 A350s this week. You're not going to get them for five years or so, probably. What's it like when it comes to getting business jets? Are they able to build them quick enough at the moment? The primary focus here at Dubai Airshow, obviously, is military and commercial, but you have a lot of private jet aircraft operators uh, on display, Gulfstream, Bombardier, uh, Dassault, Embraer, and you're absolutely right, if you want to buy a state-of-the-art aircraft that is being manufactured um, for you, then you're looking at, at uh, delivery positions in 2026, most likely. All right, so there's still a delay there. Yes. Nice problems to have. First world issues. Holger Ostheimer, it's great to see you. Thanks very much indeed for inviting us down here, especially this week at the Airshow. Appreciate it. Are you going to head over to the Airshow a little bit later on? Right now. Look forward to it very much indeed. Holger Ostheimer is the Managing Director, DC Aviation Alpha Team, our host for the week. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Time now for us to turn our attention to the beautiful game, the beautiful game that is football and one of the biggest names, the biggest brands in the world of football. Uh, making a new home here in Dubai. AC Milan, proud to announce the opening of Casa Milan, Dubai, uh, the new home of the Rossoneri here in the Middle East, which marks a significant milestone in the club's strategic global expansion. Let's find out more about that expansion now. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be joined by the CEO of AC Milan, Giorgio Fulani, who joins us live on the line this morning. Giorgio, good morning to you. Good morning, guys. Thank you for having me today, and uh, thank you for taking an interest in AC Milan. Huge interest in AC Milan. I mean, what an extraordinary brand uh, in, in the world of football. I suppose the, the, the basic question, Giorgio, is, is why Dubai and why open this office here? Yes, um, we've had a long-standing relationship and friendship with Dubai. Uh, we started with our partnership with Emirates Airlines in 2007, and it's still going strong. We had a partnership with Kersner International and its most recent brand, Cyro, since 2021. Um, we were present at the Dubai Expo. We've been here four times over the last year on official visits, including our uh, training camp uh, in which we moved kind of all of AC Milan up to 100 people during the World Cup uh, for, for training here. Um, this region, and in particular Dubai, is important and strategic to us. Uh, we look at it as um, really a, um, a place for strategic growth. Uh, and I would almost say, why didn't we open sooner? Uh, that's how important and key this place is for us. You're the first Italian football club to open an office here in the MENA region. Uh, is it fair, Georgia, to mention, to say that the, the MENA region is becoming more and more important, not just to your club, but to football in general? I would absolutely say that. Uh, kind of recent developments and uh, investment in, in football coming from the region show that. Uh, but important for me to say, as you mentioned, um, this isn't sort of a, a late fad for us. It's been a long-standing relationships. It's an area in the MENA region we have 35 million fans as for certified Nielsen data. Um, and, uh, you know, for example, we've uh, our longest standing academy 
has been running in the region for 15 years and it's uh, it's in Kuwait. So um, so certainly recent interest, but uh, for us it's uh, it's been a while that uh, we focus on the region and Dubai specifically. Let's talk about your CASA here in Dubai. CASA Milan, Dubai at ICD Brookfield Place, one of the, the best um, addresses in town as well. Uh, what uh, do you expect uh, from CASA Milan? What's it going to be offer here? First of all, important location. We thank the ICD, who's been a great partner to us uh, over the years. Um, CASA Milan is, uh, CASA Milan Dubai is, is, is going to be a physical place. Uh, it's going to be um, a place, uh, but more than that, and through our presence here, uh, we want to continue to work with our partners and make sure we uh, activate and engage with them. Uh, we want to um, find new partners and friends uh, in Dubai and in the region, uh, and really uh, this will be a place for us uh, to grow uh, and uh, and engage with with our community of partners and uh, fans, of course. Um, so look, look, look to come and sky's the limit in terms of the activities that we will plan to have from here. So it's not just a physical space, Georgia. I suppose this is also sort of, you know, an indication of the ambition of AC Milan. Absolutely. We look... Uh, AC Milan has a glorious past from a sporting perspective. Uh, it fell on harder times uh, a few years ago when I first got involved. Uh, about six years ago with the club, we had to go through a turnaround phase. But now under the ownership and guidance of our, um, of our controlling shareholder, Redbird Capital Partners, uh, we're in a growth phase. And uh, this region is a, a key region. And, uh, and uh, Casa Milan Dubai is... Uh, shows that uh, what our ambition and intention. I mean, what? I mean, over 100 years, over 120 years of tradition for uh, AC Milan. Uh, latest estimates suggesting around about, what, 500 million fans or enthusiasts around the world as well. In terms of the potential, I mean, if you look at 2023, coming to the end of 23, 2024, big expectations for uh, AC Milan, not just on the field, but also off the field for next year? Yeah, good question. Um, we, as you say, we have a, a, a long history. Uh, we're a football club. Uh, it is important for us to be successful on the pitch. That's our core business. That's what we do. But it is also important for us to do well off the field. Um, and, you know, our business is continues to grow. We continue to push our brand worldwide. We have uh, a, a number of partnerships and, and strong um, uh, friends that help us with that. Uh, so, look, our our ambition is to keep on growing and and catching up with with other clubs, uh, most of the English ones that have over the years sort of surpassed us in in size from a revenue perspective. Uh, and that includes, I, I will let me say, we have a plan for a new stadium. Uh, we have a project in San Donato, which is a municipality attached to Milan, and you know this will be talk about Kazami and Dubai, but this will be another new home for AC Milan and uh, the project is, is on the way. So we hope to have news in the not too distant future. And it, it's interesting you mentioned that about the sort of the partnerships, the investment as well. Obviously, the leadership of Redbird Capital and the, the extraordinary uh, investment into the brand in recent times as well. Is, is, is that key to making a football brand, a football club, uh, a global brand these days? 
Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, football clubs have gone from uh, being just that, let's say, football clubs to being global media entertainment uh, businesses. Um, the key word, word there is, is global. Um, and uh, through our shareholders, we have a, a global reach that we didn't have in the past. You know, an example of that is, is our partnership with the New York Yankees, uh, which uh, are shareholders as well in AC Milan. And uh, we'll have uh, you know, exciting news to come soon uh, in regards to our partnership with them. Giorgio, grazie. Thanks so much indeed for your time this morning. Really appreciate it. Great to see uh, that you've got a home here in Dubai, a physical home here in Dubai. Huge amounts of fans here in the region as well. Giorgio Falani is the CEO of AC Milan. They opened uh, Casa Milan Dubai last night at the ICD Brookfield Place. And, of course, a big thanks to uh, Giorgio for joining us live on the Business Breakfast this morning. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.